Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. We have our two T20 World Cup finalists, New Zealand and Australia, will face off for the title in Dubai on Sunday after two incredible semi-finals. I'm Yazrana and with me in the studio to relive those two epic games is the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner. I think we'll inevitably spend a bit more time uh, on the game yesterday, the New Zealand win over England, where they won with an over to spare, having needed 57 from the final four overs. Um, we're going to kind of run through that game chronologically before making wild, wider reflections on England's tournament and New Zealand's progression. Starting at the beginning, New Zealand won the toss and chose to field. Ben, were you broadly fine with the way England opted to replace Jason Roy? Uh, yes. I mean, it's 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 how I suggested they should do it in our piece before it um i don't know if in hindsight they would look at johnny besto's form and he really did scratch around for those first like six overs probably out was a 13 off 17 and that i mean they, they scraped up to about par after that but given they went with a, a batting heavy lineup they'd have liked to get a little bit more i suppose but yeah i mean i think that that is predictable the way they do it um and uh there was merit to the idea that besto would uh sort of be freed up by being pushed up to open as he's obviously so good at in one day cricket and that kind of didn't happen. Mm. Uh, even though Sam Billings batter comes in, doesn't face a ball. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously when that happens, you look a bit silly uh, and especially, or the, the other thing is, it's not, it's not just that as that the, I guess the, the merits obviously you, in some ways you, you cannot, you say, why would you pick more than five bowlers? Because each person can only bowl four overs, which is obviously true, but it does give you extra flexibility with the ball, which is what England kind of lacked at the end. I mean, England didn't have another sort of like amazing death bowler in the squad who would have made the difference. So, uh, but you, you, you have to have Wokes bowling to death with the team England pick pretty much. 
Um, so, and the other argument, I guess, is that Billings at seven, the insurance gives England a little bit of license to go a bit harder, which I guess, I mean, I, I don't think they would, they would sort of trying to, uh, to sort of struggle. I think New Zealand just bowled pretty well, basically. Mm. Um, England finished that power play on 40 for one. And I thought that was, they were almost lucky to, to finish with that many. There, there was that edge for four, for the last ball, the second over from Besto. Um, Phil, Besto, he's one of... England's white ball greats. He had a pretty quiet tournament at the end. 47 runs at 11, strike rate 110. I guess that is the nature of big tournaments that are so short. And especially if you win those games early, you can actually go quite a long time without batting. And he's not opened and faced the new white ball for quite a long time as well. Yeah, and that probably showed. As you say, he was very scratchy. Um, I would have made the same call that they did. I would have kept the same side bar that one, in effect, like for like. And I would have brought Billings in as well. I had no issue with that. Uh, I think it would have been a big ask for whoever it was going to be, really, to to go in there and and start playing playing their shots. Uh, it, it was a funny innings, without wanting to take it too far down the line, but it was it, it felt like a kind of a, a sort of slightly weary, weary attempt, you know, all round really. And and Butler wasn't quite as dominant. Um, a couple of Butler-esque moments for sure through the covers, but he wasn't completely dominant. They bowled quite well to him. Um, Milan played nicely, but again, it was a middling innings, 41, I think off, well, I've got it here now, 41 off 30, played nicely and then nicked off another day, you, you know, that that's an under edge or it bounces or it even goes for four and then you're away a little bit. So it was a slightly odd moment, I think, when a, t- a player nicks off in a, in a T20 game, which feels slightly harsh, I think. Uh, Moen played nicely but took a long time to get going his final figures were good you know hitting at 137 for 50 odd not out but uh, but he took a long time to get going and it felt a bit stodgy I thought in those middle overs really and so they they kind of limped a little bit to 166 I still thought it would probably be enough um, but in the end their, 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 their race was run really and, and it felt like an oddly kind of lifeless, slightly listless, listless innings all round. The, the Milan thing was the, the key moment for me really uh, and this was sort of a, an innings that both his detractors and his supporters can kind of point to as like sort of it, it fits in both narratives in a way. I mean the argument with Milan is that a slow start could cost England a key moment but that uh, the, you know, if he kicks on from a slow start that could win England game by himself this felt like he was right on the verge of doing that. He's got a brilliant record against New Zealand, likes playing those bowlers, that kind of pace of bowler as well. He just hit a six uh, as well, I think that over. Yeah, I it, think it might have even been the next ball. Possibly. It felt like he'd flick that switch into sort of godlike Milan mode. Uh, and uh, yeah, then, it, was, then it didn't was, happen. So. He was trying, it was quite a tacky surface. He was trying to overhit it a bit. They all were, to be fair. It wasn't an easy run scoring pitch. And you saw that as well with in the New Zealand's innings, which we'll come to in a moment as well. Uh, yeah, with Milan, just. Hard lines, I would say. One of those things, you know, he's 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 gone a bit hard at that at that shot, but it was there to hit cross bat pull under edge. One of those things. Yeah, I thought that that, that partnership was really interesting. They put on sixty odd and seven overs, and without looking that good, I actually thought they did a really good job. Agreed. Uh, the pitch w- was quite difficult, and you know we've talked about Milan so much on this podcast, but I actually thought Milan really did try and up the strike rate, and so did Moeen. I mean, Moeen has got a reputation for someone who goes hard from ball one, but he was. Uh, less than a runner ball for quite a lot of his innings before catching up later. And I think worth talking about New Zealand a little bit. I thought they were quite smart in that spell. They uh, hid Santner, who's been one of their bowlers of the tournament so far up until that semi-final. But with the two lefties in, they bring on Mill, who bowled 
pretty well. And I thought it was quite smart management from New Zealand through through that period. And also with England, next bat's coming in, Livingston, who loves high pace, he kind of got Milne out of the way a little bit before Livingston and, came and, in. And also, I mean, I know Butler's, you know, an, an icon player against all kinds of bowling, but... But if you are going to throw any bowler at him, you're going to throw a wrist spinner at him um, when he has to create pace on the ball. The way that he's been playing in this tournament, if you bowl anywhere at bowling medium fast, 85 mile an hour, then he's just going to take you downtown. Uh, Sodi got him with a marginal LB. It was a nice piece of bowling. He's a brilliant T20 bowler. As an aside, the top five Bowlers now in T20 cricket internationally are all wrist spinners. Tells a story as well. And I thought they 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 kept him under wraps relatively well. And that was a crucial moment because obviously he's been the, the player of the tournament. The, the Santner thing is interesting. Did you see Ashwin tweeting about this? No. Uh, so he was actually, I think, a bit critical of sort, sort of New Zealand, but of the trend in general, I think, to go a bit too match-up heavy. So New Zealand bowled, was it three overs of Glenn Phillips in the end? Who's a uh, an off spinner. Uh, sorry, he's a wicketkeeper who bowls a little bit of part-time off spin. Uh, just that's just the one over okay so he bowled just the one over but it went for a lot of runs yeah it went for uh, 11 yes uh and so ashton was saying that like you know you've got Santner, who's a proper bowler but a left armor and then you've got milan and moeen there both left-handed so that's not the matchup but then you've also got a much better bowler over a worse bowler uh which sort of and then Satner only bowls the one over because it doesn't suit him and you're, you're wondering like why have you picked this guy who's not really there for his batting uh and it kind of i think almost as an interesting prelude to what followed later on with who England chose to bowl and didn't choose to bowl. Mm. Um, but it's, it's an interesting debate in T20 cricket overall. And we've seen it quite a lot in this tournament with uh, teams uh, sort of uh, choosing to bowl, like basically just always want to turn the ball away no matter who the bowler is. Um, Bangladesh got punished in the Sri Lanka game. Didn't yeah, that? and actually obviously we'll come on to it again, but it was interesting when Livingston was bowling, how much research England clearly do. I think it was to Conway, who is a lefty. So obviously Livingston, the, the great thing about him is he can bowl off off his hand leg spinners, but he was actually bowling leg breaks to Conway because Conway actually, he he has an excellent record against off breaks despite being uh, a lefty and a, and a batter against, we, we, we'll against, against come, leg breaks. We'll come but to this, a, you know, there's, there's an obvious parallel with England's refusal to use Moeen Ali. What did you think of England's score, 166 on that wicket? Livingston told Michael Atherton at half time that, um, he didn't think that much of the pitch, but at the end of the game, Chris Silverwood said he thought it was defendable and not much more than that. I, I thought that was a pretty good effort on that on that wicket. I suppose it's one of those where it's a pretty good effort, but you've got to almost add a little bit of a batting first tax mm. onto it in a way. So yeah. it's a it's 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 a good score in terms of England played well to get there and perhaps with a slightly better team in a way in the first half, but because of the benefit of batting second as we saw in both semi-finals when you can catch up very well I mean it's, it's actually not happened that much in this tournament they're catching up lows towards the end but in those two games you kind of saw the uh the effect of that and how you can sort of really do, do that at the end of a game maybe it's the due maybe it's just mm. uh maybe it's something else but that is uh that is something that's been talked about a lot and I think that's that's almost what it is is that you can and especially if you're if you're batting out there you come off thinking like especially well especially living when he's hit what was it 17, 17 off 10 yeah. yeah so so you come out thinking like yeah we've we've, we've smashed it there I, uh, I, as i said earlier i thought that england would defend it uh i thought that that would be enough with the scoreboard pressure thing um even with the the slight skewing you know, the benefit obviously of batting second that the tournament has shown up especially under lights with the dew and so on and so on um i still thought they would defend it uh morgan said afterwards it was a tough pitch to hit sixes on. And he said, we're a six-hitting team. Uh, but they struggled to get get many away. They hit four all in, in across the whole of the whole of the innings. Um, 
we'll come to what happened with New Zealand, but you know, when they are served up right in the slot as as happened against Nisham and, and Mitchell, then you know, they're a couple of big boys and and you're kind of asking for it even on a big ground like that. There's the other point as well. With a big ground, okay, it's hard to clear the ropes consistently, but there's lots of twos out there. And so you can always feel like you're still just about in the game. You can you can scurry and you can mm. play dirty cricket to keep just about inside the rate, even when you're chasing 10s, 11s, 12s. I thought England were marginal favourites, probably at the halfway point. But then there were overwhelming favourites and they had New Zealand 13 for two with Guptill and Williamson uh, out early, both the Wokes. Who I actually don't think bowled that well with a new ball, mm. if that makes sense. But he's still... He's fortunate with Guptill's wicket. Yeah. Yeah, and he bowled a few bad balls that didn't really get punished down the leg side. Just got that presence now. <laughs> yeah, they're just yeah. playing the man, not the yeah. ball. So. But then, then you had that partnership between Conway and Mitchell that almost mirrored the Milan Moeen one in that they didn't really look like they were getting going, but they they were just there. They didn't get out, and they um, at the halfway stage they were fifty eight for two, and then already needed elevens. Ben, what did you make about how England used their bowlers in the first half of that inning? So Jordan opening the bowling, not something he often does. Um, Rashid coming on slightly later than you might have expected. Moe not bowling at all. Livingston not bowling to the until the ninth over, which meant that Livingston would need to bowl three of the last ten, three of the last nine overs. Yeah, England have used their bowlers quite strangely and interestingly throughout the tournament, and it's gone well up until then. So you can't. I don't know if you can criticise it too much at the time when it when it goes wrong. I mean, there was the what the West Indies game when Rashid was held back and back and back, and then comes on and takes. Four for two in a, in a, in a, in a moment. Uh, Jordan, obviously, we will obviously talk about his, his actual death bowling, but he is thought of as a sort of death specialist, and you might even bank three of those for later. But he's actually apart, kind of apart from at the death in this tournament. He's bowled well in the middle overs and mm. occasionally with the new ball. He's been a wicket taker, which isn't something you normally associate with uh, Jordan. I mean, our, our, sitting here, I thought it was a bit strange that Mark Woodson take the new ball, uh, but then kind of what do I know? I mean, I don't know. It's, mm. uh, uh, Jordan bowled decently with it. Um, I think that that England war is going to have to, yeah, because because they because they've used Moen with the new ball and they couldn't hear because and didn't use him at all because of the the matchups again. Uh, so that I guess I, I would have gone Mark with the new ball, but kind of what do I know? And England have got most of their bowling options right through the tournament it seems. So mm. that's the that's the flip side, I guess. You could see how tacky the pitch was, and you could see how effective Livingston was, albeit sending it both ways. Um, you know, fabulous uh, addition to his to his portfolio. You know, uh, and he's great. He's great to watch. Uh, but I I would definitely have brought Moen in at that point. And my my th- my think thinking was that in a big ground they have to make the running. They have to create those big shots. And I think it's it's easier with the big beefcake kind of players, especially with someone like Mitchell. It's easier to hit medium fast bowlers that are pit- banging it into the pitch rather telegraphed as well it was rather obvious by the end it's easier to go hard with and try and clear those w- wide square boundaries than it is against a spinner who you can mm. trust Moeen's bowled pretty well in this tournament Moeen 50 odd not out he will be feeling good about himself as well this wouldn't have been the Moeen that you sometimes get who's a bit diffident and you, you don't necessarily trust him so I would have gone I would have gone with Moeen Ali it felt a little bit like they were kind of over analyzing over leaning on the the matchup element which is obviously a very important part of T20 cricket I don't knock that but I think in that particular moment having seen how well Livingston went I would have thrown the ball to Moe in for an over or two so you've mm. gone with him in because in, that was the 16th over was it you well Livingston bowled three overs right 
Okay, and then came back for the fourth and the fifteenth. Is that right? Yeah, yeah I okay. believe so. Um, I, I would have brought him in a little bit earlier in the piece, maybe after ten, eleven, twelve overs. Mm. I would have tried to get a couple of overs out from him because uh, because there was that feeling that without the proper firepower at the back end, without Mills as an absolute death specialist, there's an obvious element of hindsight here. But I was I was feeling it and saying it at the time that I thought the way that Livingston bowled should have opened the door a little bit for. For mowing to go come in alongside him. Um, that said, that said, in the end, it does come down to what you do with it, and you know, and, and Chris Jordan had an over to forget. You know, he he, he he threw down a load of rubbish, and he would say so himself. And Adil Rashid, who is normally your absolute banker, he's a joy. Dragged a couple down and 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 asked for it. You know, Moeen could have bowled three or four long hops and gone for twenty. So you know, it's. This is the nature of it. That's the thing. You, I guess you can question sort of decisions made in the first like three quarters of the game up until that last four overs. But at that point, England were heavy favourites. Uh, so kind of, if even if you're using hindsight, you've got to say that England would, were getting it right until that point. Uh, and then, and even if they had used their bowlers slightly differently and, and say, so say in, a, in a weird world where they have, they can bowl anyone at those at that stage, I think they probably would have gone two overs of Jordan one of Rashid, one of someone else, or two of Rashid maybe, and then he ended up bowling three overs, which is one of Jordan, and then they had to whip him out the attack, and then and then one of Rashid, and then Wokes does a fill in. So I actually like it's it's yeah because because I guess the the thing with when Moeen might have bowled was when Wood bowled quite a bit, and that's if Wood isn't bowling with the new ball, he's there as your partnership breaker, and if he does break that partnership, and weirdly he he obviously said was very expensive this tournament didn't take a wicket you look at that on paper you think that is a tournament to forget and obviously in some ways it is but actually, I actually thought he bowled pretty well yesterday and it felt a lot like he was kind of hitting the splice there were like edges and top edges and that I mean that's sort of part of the gamble with high pace but I can see why Ingen stuck with him even though he was being expensive and so as you look at the scorecard and see Wood going for loads Moe not bowling Spinner's doing well all the way through and think what have England done there but also they did do well enough to get into an excellent position and if Wood does break through which he could well have done then they're dominant and probably run away with it yeah Ben this podcast is kind of like a post-mortem on England's defeat but just on one massive positive Liam Livingston 17 off 10 and then two for 22 off four overs what an incredible addition he's been to the England team in the last six months yeah amazing uh and I mean there's a sort of a butterfly effect uh alternative universe where he, he probably doesn't play I mean you'll go back to that Sri Lanka series uh, when England, so that's strength shows at the start of the summer when England had a few injuries and they might have rested one or two, but it was mostly actually injuries that meant that Livingston kind of came in. And then, even though they dominated that series, there was one game when they bowled first, got Schlanker out for not very much at all, but then it had a bit of a collapse and there was a little bit of pressure. And Livingston comes in and like hits a pretty slow 30 odd, but then all of a sudden you think, okay, this guy's got something. And that's kind of the, the, the first thing he's properly shown in England show. Because if you, if you think back to 2017, his, his first time in England in, in T20 eyes was horrible. Mm. Uh, and now he's, and then he comes and does that. And then obviously the hundred against Pakistan happens and then you can't not pick him. And then he smashes every bowler he faces for six. And he's just kept doing that essentially since, but, but that, but that Sri Lanka innings is like a, a weird turning point in a series that is, was basically instantly forgotten. And actually, if it wasn't for that, I don't know if Livingston would have been that, like that next cab of the rank who all of a sudden when, Stokes gets injured and Curran gets injured. Uh, he then becomes the guy. A... That, that ball to Conway, I think he bowled a googly and then a slider. Mm. Incredible skill. Yeah, I mean... Someone who's supposed to be a part-time spinner who barely bowled a ball, if anything, in the IPL. Well, that, I guess that's the other thing when we're talking about these matchups and that, uh, you know, uh, you've got a, bowl, a good bowl, not just the bowler who turns it the right way. 
Livingston was bowling really, really well. It's, mm. it's not just that he was bowling. Uh, uh, he, he was bowling rubbish off breaks and rubbish leg breaks. They were they were they were good balls. He was he was mm. just it was just like if he was just bowling the one, he would have been a, a pretty good option, I think. So at the end of that fourth Livingston over, New Zealand need fifty seven off the last twenty four. Phil, can you make sense of what then happened? Well, yeah, I mean it was pretty obvious. Chris Jordan bowled one of the worst overs of his life. Uh, he. It could have been worse as well. There was one that slid down onto Nisham's pads that he scampered a leg by from instead. Um, you could you could sense how quickly, and this is the nature of the game, is why it's so so compelling when it's played by two evenly matched teams. And you could sense how quickly the the pendulum had swung away, and you could see it among among England's fielders. Um, then Morgan took that catch. With maybe twenty needed from two, something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly that. Right, okay. Almost fumbled it as well. Managed to kind of catch it round the, you know, one-handed, you know. And then you felt okay. Well, you know, a, a good nineteenth over can can maybe pull this round. And and it was, you know, it was painful. It was painful for that for them to see Chris Wokes, who'd been, who's obviously had a good tournament. Uh, it it felt a bit. Morgan looked a bit marooned there at extra cover, knowing that he was going into the last two, 20, 20 needed with, with Wokes and uh, with Jordan as well. And that suddenly looked a little bit rudderless without Tamal Mills there. He'd not gone with Wood. I would have personally gone with Wood uh, in that moment. Um, you know, and, and, and it become a bit telegraphed by that point. These kind of slower ball into the pitch deliveries, Thinking that it's a it's too long a, a square boundary, that's fine. But Daryl Mitchell's a big, big man, and he was he'd been in all innings as well. You're kind of asking for it. I thought it was a little bit, little bit. Conversely, for England, are so creative generally. It felt like they ran out of ideas a little bit by the end. Yeah, we need to make sure uh, if if you are a New Zealand listener listening, and we are going to come to New Zealand in a bit and give them lots of praise and talk about what they did well and their chances in the final. Uh, it's, it's worth mentioning one thing is that that in in looking for reasons for England's defeat, one of them is just, is just that this is T20 cricket. Uh, you know, even in that Jordan over, there's that Bairstow moment where he, you know, dives it, just doesn't get the ball away before he puts his leg on the road. I don't think even he knows. Uh, it's complete chaos. England is still trying to run someone out, even though it's either a catch or six. And there's nothing else it could be. But if, but if that is a catch, England is still significant favourites. That would have been, you know, turned around one of the two sixes. They'd have had a, you know, a new batter to bowl at. Uh, but also, as much as it is T20 cricket and it's just one over for Chris Jordan, this has kind of been coming a bit with him. I mean, there is lots to like about him as a cricketer. Uh, Owen Morgan obviously really, really trusts him. Uh, he's obviously got a great cricket brain. Loads of players talk about him as like this, this big brother, sort of like a uh, figure in the dressing room. Uh, he's, he's, he's become an improved bowler, I think, in other stages of the innings. He obviously is a resourceful batter as well. Uh, but he is not an exceptional death bowler and hasn't been for quite a long time actually even though that is where he bowls more than anyone else in the world he's bowled more at the death in both t20 and t20 cricket uh, than anyone in the last five years but in t20 cricket in that time he concedes runs at 10 and a half and over at the death which is you know that, that that's not great basically i mean this i think and where what it comes down to kind of is this uh almost like the myth of the Yorker, I guess, which is something that is discussed a lot. It's cricket's most divisive delivery, basically, because, you know, uh, and, it, and it kind of goes almost counterintuitive to a lot of sporting uh, sort of theory, I guess, in that you should back yourself to do the thing, which if you 
succeed in it will be the most effective. Uh, you don't sort of plan for failure in a way. So if you can land a Yorker, it's the best ball there is. There's no contest. But if you just miss it, if you bowl a half volley or a full toss, you're more like you're pretty likely to go the distance. And that's happened before in this tournament. Uh, in the Pakistan-Afghanistan game, I think, when Karim Janat went for five Yorks against Asif Ali, landed two, missed three. The two were dots and the three that he missed were sixes. Uh, and that's a bit what happened here as well. And that's what Jordan has made his name of. He is the Yorker bowler. Mills does it the complete other way. Bowls the odd Yorker here and there, but is mostly back of the length. We have much more margin for error. Mixes his lines, but keeps his length there and mixes up his pace. And that you, you can't be lined up. You don't, you know, there's not like an error that you're waiting for. And uh, and that's kind of, and and then when you look at Jordan as well, He's what, 32, 33? Uh, and England have a squad of 32, 33 year olds. Basically, the youngest player in that team was Livingston, uh, who, you know, feels like a young upstart, but he's what, 28? Uh, so they are going to have to sort of, and there's a world tournament sort of every year from now until, you know, 2030, pretty much. So they're going to have to transition between tournaments. And I wonder if that is one of the places they will look to Start i guess that transition yeah possibly see, see if you can also keep a mood into a death bowler or if you can once archer's back once mills is back they're your death options you can have that other bowler be somewhere else but yeah i like it was a, and you know it's just one over but also if you're a t20 international cricketer that is where you like your career is defined by one over that goes well or doesn't go well and this didn't go well i, f- I found quite um a lot of the post-match chat quite interesting a lot of people saying oh it's t20 cricket this kind of thing happens in T20 cricket. Um, and I think there's almost a fear of being too critical and like taking agency away from the players um, because compared to the cricket's other two formats, it feels like it can change in moments that might not be totally within your control at the very end. But England got things wrong that w- were in their control, right? Um, and I think on Jordan, I was thinking about this yesterday, it's almost like in a major football tournament, you have a really good team, but they've got a centre-back who's good with his feet, but is prone to making high-profile errors. And that error at the end has cost that team in the tournament. This was something that kind of felt like it was always possible that it could have happened. And I guess where you, you look at how England have prepared for this tournament, England have picked Jordan pretty much every T20 game they could have done quite a long time. They didn't really have a look at other options. And also with England... Uh, batted first in the semi-final they don't like batting first they have chosen to bowl first in all these bilaterals do you do you think England could have prepared slightly better they could have given themselves more options at the end it felt like there's nothing else you can really do yeah I, I think if we're being hypercritical you can say that their commitment to a kind of remorseless dedication to winning and being uh, without sentiment being this kind of wordless juggernaut of a cricket team, uh, riding roughshod over everybody and everything. Uh, And this stems from Morgan, for sure. And it's something that has been held up as being uh, kind of an exemplar of of England's white ball power. But yeah, I thought that in the build-up to the tournament. And I thought it in the early rounds as well. And even in the warm-up games, England were winning tosses and saying, no, 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 you know, we chase. That's what we do, we chase. And that's that. Um, and, you know, they're the best chasing team out there for sure. But you don't always win the toss, <laughs> yeah. for sure. So, yeah, there's a possibility if, if you're being hypercritical, for sure. Um, 
there's a fundamental dichotomy in in twenty eight twenty ball twenty over cricket twenty ball cricket. That was a Freudian <laughs> right there in twenty over cricket, where on the one hand we are encouraged to think that it is a very scientific game, and on the other we have to acknowledge its beautiful randomness. And in a shortened game, then the odd moment uh, of either ineptitude on one side or inspiration on the other is going to change the course of, of that result. Um, where the, the notion of it all being very data-driven and mechanical and structural, where that comes in is to try and shrink and eliminate those moments as much as possible. But in the end, you are dealing with bats and bats, batters and, and bowlers and bats and balls and the pressure of, of certain moments does get to certain players, you know, and let's be honest, England lost lost this game and we've got to move on from them because it's done and dusted. They lost this game because Chris Jordan had a, had a bad day and a couple of steeplers that on another day would have been caught just inside the boundary ended up going for 12 rather than a couple, one or two wickets. And, and, and they really are the margins in a game like that. In terms of that one bad moment sort of thing that, uh, you know, can, can go either way, what, what was happening in this game is that one bad moment became several and it felt almost like Kolkata 2016 to me in the 2016 World 20 final when Morgan says, it's, you know, his one regret as a, as a captain is not sort of going up to Ben Stokes and stopping him. Uh, and saying like, if you've got your head on straight, what are you going to bowl here? Just calming him down. It felt like it all happened very quickly from the Jordan over to the Rashid over. Like all of a sudden England were, you know, dominant and then it was like level pegging and then they were basically out of it. And that happened in what felt like a few minutes to me. I don't know, but that's... Uh, I think you slowed things down in the Jordan over, but then the Rashid over seemed to go really quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. It was. I thought it was quite interesting how... Uh, frustrated Butler was quite early in that over. The ball that went for a wide down the leg side, he then went over to Morgan, who then said something to Jordan. I don't know what he said. Um, Matt Smith asked a uh, question for you, Ben. What could have England done differently after the Jordan over? Yeah, well, it's just that slowing it slowing it down, I think. I mean, I did, uh, the, the, the tricky thing with going with a bowl like Rashid then, uh, as in like a spinner, is that it kind of looks brilliant if it comes off and it looks like a failure if it doesn't, because going with a spinner at that stage is always a bit of a punt. But I do think that it was still the right thing to do. And as Phil said earlier, Rashid bowled a few half-trackers, which again happens. Uh, and, you know, I'm not saying that if Morgan has a chat to him before a ball, he, you know, ends up bowling the ball a century. Uh, so I think they could have just taken a bit more time, taken a couple of deep breaths. Um, we've known that Wokes is not a brilliant death bowler. He's kind of had quite a, a few times on him. He's kind of done, like, you know, done wonders with the new ball and then come back at the death to do that. So I guess... It wouldn't have been after Jordan over, but they could have maybe, especially if they'd bowled an over of Moeen earlier on, they would have had a, an over of Wood up their sleeve as well, which might have been a way to go. But again, it's not like he's a, an elite death bowler either. So the momentum was definitely with New Zealand. I think what they, they just needed something to go their way just slightly earlier. If Rashid strikes with the first ball that over, then they are right back in it. Roy Dennis asks, are New Zealand always going to be the underdogs? When does world cricket actually begin to rate them as a top tier side? A couple of years ago. <laughs> I mean, we, we we talked in the preview show before the tournament, you know, that they absolutely, of course, have to be considered and, and all the rest of it. Um, it, it. Personally, watching the game yesterday, from a personal position, uh, I feel like these two teams are so closely entwined emotionally and psychologically now after what happened. Uh, and they both acknowledged it as well. And Morgan said in, the, in his in his post-match that, you know, we both play a very similar brand of cricket and we're both very similar levels of skill. And I think that's fair. Uh, 
and so it was I could not summon any great disappointment I couldn't summon any great uh frustration or anger or anything like that from a so-called English fans perspective uh it was a good ding-dong battle it showed again you know how how much fun 20 over cricket is uh and in in Jimmy Neesham you had your your perfect um up yours redemption arc you know, which is always good fun for, for an afternoon watching a bit of sport. And, and Dow Mitchell as well, first T20i half century, what a time to get it, barely open a game for New Zealand before this World Cup. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's easy kind of with hindsight to say, like, how can people underrate New Zealand? But it, when you look down that team sheet, it is not full of the superstars that England's and India's and Pakistan's has. I mean, it's, it's kind of fair to say, like, look, on paper, these guys are about the maybe the sixth best team of the tournament, but they're in a T20 World Cup final. And maybe, maybe we do start, I mean, Obviously, there is the underdogs thing, which is normally done for they have a decent team on paper, but you know we we think they're not going to do it for whatever reason. Whereas now we almost have to say like even when New Zealand on paper are not that good, they now have this kind of big tournament presence that they kind of know how to scrap their way through to a knockout and then to hold their nerve when they get there. I mean, Daryl Mitchell, like you know, also also they're they're not big names because of the of the shirt that they wear as much as anything else. Yeah, I mean they are top quality cricketers. Martin Guptill's has been very very close. You know, he's made double hundreds in in white ball cricket for his country. Uh Devon Conway is one of the best players in the world. I know he's new, new to it, but you just got to watch him for an hour. Breaking news just coming in he's out of the final. Is he? Mm. Is he? Mm. Well, that is a blow. That is undoubtedly a blow because he's a key man there. Um yeah, and you know they have they have quality. You know Jimmy Neesham again is you know he's he's a he's a respected world figure in in white ball cricket. Obviously, Southie and, and Bolt speak for themselves. I, I know what we're saying, and and there is always that sense with with them that we are pumping them up slightly patronisingly. There is that feel with them a little bit, but I think I think people who know people who know the game, we've probably moved away from that. Yeah, I, th- I think we should we should dwell on Asian for a second, but I think the, their bowling attack probably bit, is a bit undervalued. Uh, so I think partly because they left Milne out before the tournament, so people then end up doing down. But that's because Ferguson's quality. Well, no, but but I think I think people were saying that Saudi should have been left out in Milne's place, and that you know the the T Twenty you know analysts and whatever they love Milne, and you have there's a temptation then to kind of do down the other players because they the attack because the team could be better. You think it's not very good when actually that spin attack is very good even if they're not you know that that that, that is where you have a, two very very good players who aren't superstars but maybe deserve a, a few more goes and, and Southie and Bolt are they do have that you know that experience having been there Ferguson is very quick and, and class and the same with the same with Milne and we, yeah we should just dwell on Nisham who obviously was a uh, you know the, in, in a way the face of that 2019 final loss for New Zealand where uh uh, you know, he tweeted a few things afterwards saying like something like there might be five minutes in the next 50 years where I don't think about that last that <laughs> game or something. And also said to kids, don't, like, don't play sport, just take up baking or something else. Die uh, 16, d- die a fat man. D- die fat and happy, yeah. Uh, and then there's the, a great picture of, uh, and he, he then obviously hits, what, 27 or 15? 11, I think. Uh, 27 yeah. of, 27 yeah. of 11 to, you know, and takes on that Jordan over to get them back into it. And there's a, and then he, when he gets out, I think, you know, there's still 20 off two overs. I think he feels that he's really... Uh, you know that this is kind of happening again here whereas actually this was kind of 2019 in in reverse you know where you had, you had Bolt stepping on the rope there you had Berso doing it here you know this was uh there, there were even sort of like uh like deflections off off, off the bat and stuff going on at certain times uh but then so there's the, a great photo of the winning moment of the, of the photo taken of the New Zealand dugout and everyone is jumping to their feet and sort of leaping for joy apart from Kane Williamson who sort of got a sort of sort of like contented smile on his face and 
Jimmy Neesham, who is just staring completely stony face into the middle distance. I think kind of uh, people sort of saying like, why is he not happy? I think he just almost couldn't believe that, you know, it was finally kind of going, he was finally getting a slice of luck, basically, that this was a, this was something kind of going his way. And uh, Adya Sharma, the Wizard India editor, tweeted an amazing photo. You see this, Phil, uh, about like half an hour, 45 minutes after the game of Nisham still just there in the dugout, just sitting there, just kind of soaking it all in. And the funny thing is, obviously, Nisham is also with that 2019 World Cup reaction. Uh, I think everyone was waiting for what his tweet would be. Uh, and then he, uh, what was it, something like, uh, uh, job's, job's not done. Job's not done yet. Yeah. Job's not done, not done a, yet. Yeah. Um, the, the second semi-final was also pretty good. Yeah. Phil, you, you preferred it. I did too. Um, I was a bit more engaged with it emotionally, I think. What, why do you think that, that was? Uh, because I really wanted Pakistan to win the tournament right from the start. Uh, and because as much as I adore Australia deep down, they're always a useful uh, opponent to rail against. Uh, And because I I, I watch personally, I watch cricket for the individuals these days. um, And I really, really wanted to see in order Barbara Azam, Shaheen Afridi, and weirdly Matthew Hayden lift this tournament trophy, you know, because they've, I think they've been the best side overall in the tournament, the most inspired side, certainly. All of their cricketers are brilliant to watch. Um, and of course, with all the, the shit show of what was taking place before the tournament with the cancelled tour and the ramifications therein, um, I really wanted Pakistan to win. Um, and it looked like they, they were going to, uh, you know, the, the big guys all stood up. Rizwan was brilliant. Fakar Zaman, brilliant. But Barbara you, you, a- you say that genuinely. I I didn't feel like they'd they were anywhere near getting it over the line at any point. I, there were moments when they were objectively fa- favourites, for sure. When Maxwell went and they were five down and they still needed 80-odd or whatever it was. Um, yeah, they were objectively favourites. And when the two openers went out and put something together and Baba was ticking and got to 30, I think, something like that, 29-30. Yeah, objectively, they were in a good, good position. But um, the nature of it, I never really felt that they were that they had the game that they, they had the game done that really at any point, um, and especially having seen what we saw the previous day. You know, it's funny that both results I think exactly the same. Well, one, one pretty much. So, so yeah, Australia needed fifty or four overs as opposed to fifty-seven, and they both won with an both, over left. Yeah, exactly. But Matthew Aust- Wade forty-one of seventeen. Australia's kind of recovery felt like it started a little bit earlier as well. So in, yeah, in a way, I, I, I think this was a game of slightly more dramatic swings and probably slightly more impressive individual performances as well, and and just slightly more narrative running through it. Basically, like you had Baba at the beginning. I know he didn't he didn't make the statement score, but he, he like his first two shots. Stark was bowling like lightning. And then he, he plays this in, incredible sort of clip off, 12 off three. Yeah, he? incredible clip off the legs, uh, straight to square leg. Uh, and then absolutely creams a drive. And he kind of throws his head back when he sees he's ping the fielder. And then hits a four. And, 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 and then he, he's looking like, like, like the batsman that he is, basically. Mm. Uh, uh, and then you had Rizwan making sort of like a gutsy 50. Didn't, didn't quite kick on. But then you find out at the halfway stage uh, that Matthew Hayden said he's been in hospital overnight with a lung, a lung condition. Uh, and then uh, what? Fak is a man who loves knockout uh, events, so he's got he got a fifty in the Champions Trophy semi final, hundred in the final, obviously, and then this fifty. Uh, and then you had well the, the Shaheen new ball spell, which I'd probably hand over to Phil for. But. Well, yeah, just, but just going back briefly to their own innings, um, Rizwan's obviously a very lovable cricketer and a brilliant cricketer, cross format cricketer. Um, but seen it once or twice earlier in the tournament as well. He does take quite a while to get going. 
Um, and his final tally, 67 from 52, strike rate under 130. He's taken up a lot of balls there to not really play a defining innings. Um, and same with Babar, 39 or 34 in the end. Sorry? Same with Babar, 39 or 34 yeah, in the indeed, end. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. And Babar got slightly bogged down in those kind of middle overs uh, and he ended up clothing one up to long arm. Um, the the knock-on effect of it is that Asif Ali came in a bit too late. And so, I know he kind of goes for it anyway, <laughs> straight off the bat, but uh, I think he came in at the start of the 19th over. So two overs to go and... And he hit his first one straight up to long on. Now, if he'd had a, an overall two to spare to at least give himself a ball or two just to get get the pace of the, the pace of the pitch, then it's possible that he may have been dominant towards the back end as he has been throughout the tournament. Um, they lost wickets at irritating times. Baba went at the wrong time. Rizwan went having used up quite a lot of those middle overs. Uh, and then Asif Ali had too much to do with not really enough time. So so they got up to 176, which looked like a good score. Zaman helped them to get up up there, played a couple of amazing shots off Mitchell Stark to get them there. At one point, it looked like they might get a few less than that. But as we saw with the previous game, uh, and it was a, it's a good track there, and as we say, it's a big ground, it was, it was par. It was no more than par at half-time. The... The thing in Pakistan's favour, of course, is is that left arm genius. My fa- my favourite bowler, bar none in the world. I think he's absolutely marvellous. It was an incredible. I mean, put, put, spell. That, put that wrist in the Lord's Museum. You know, he's just phenomenal. Um, and obviously, he cleaned up Aaron Finch first. Well, second, third, third delivery, in fact, of his first over. I think it was, yeah, um, with a beauty. Um, one of these kind of vicious breakbacks that Pakistan left armers seem to have a monopoly on, and then a marginal Mitchell Marsh decision that went that outstanding by I think it was Dean Gaffney who was who was umpiring I think at the time and he, he turned that one down rightly in the end but if he had given it it would have stood um, with the umpire's initial call. Uh, th- th- there's something about the balls in 20 over cricket. Fair play to the manufacturers of, of cricket balls I think because they swing. Didn't for, expect you to go down this route. <laughs> they swing for five minutes but that's about right for a 20 over game of cricket you don't want it to swing after three or four overs and thus it was this is what we saw and it, it swings loads and then just stops and then stops yeah yeah, yeah I remember Chris Wokes saying about the, the balls in the 50 over World Cup they swing for four overs two overs each and then that's that in this it swings for two overs one one over each anyway it was a, a difficult decision um to, to whether to give Shaheen that third over. I think he bowled two overs, one for eight. Um, he made a complete mug of Mitchell Marsh. You know, he was a lovely clubbable cricketer and all of that, but he couldn't lay a bat on it for that first over. He had his second over and yet yeah, the swing wasn't there and it was a more pedestrian kind of over, although still, you know, still 90, 90 plus effortlessly. Should it should they have thrown the kitchen sink at it? Should they have taken a, a third over of, of Shaheen had tried to maybe blow the thing out the water. Realistically, they they were five down with 70, 80 needed towards the back end of the game anyway. So with Stark next in as well. With Stark next that in, deep. and they did have him have him held back for those two overs. Uh so yeah, I think overall it was probably it was probably the right decision. Um it's six to one, half a dozen, isn't it, really? Uh, uh, Ralph came in after him, who's also quick through the air, but on that kind of track with a bit more pace, you know, getting someone like Harry, 
Harris Ralph on a stickier, tackier pitch would be horrible to face. But on a pitch that comes on quite nicely, you fancy it. And you saw it, I think, his first delivery, Mitchell Marsh, clobbered him over mid-wicket and then he was away. One thing on when they use Shaheen, I don't... The, the, the third over in the power play, fair enough, but I think they could have used that fourth over earlier when that partnership was just starting to tick over. I think that's when you want, you know, you, you think one over, if he gets the wicket, they kind of... It was, was with that last over, I think it almost felt like a... Uh, Matthew Wade surprised him by going for the sixes because it was at the stage where they could have taken singles and that mm. was how he managed to kind of get on top of him. I know that Shaheen's last day wasn't wasn't great, but actually if 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 Shaheen comes on and bowls the sixteenth over, if he goes for six runs there or he takes a wicket, either way, it kind of feels like it sews the game up because it just feels different, you know, even though it's kind of the same in both ways. Yeah. Uh I think that's when they could have gone for him and killed the game off and that's the one they'll regret, I think. A couple of moments we've got to mention. The uh, Muhammad Hafiz double bouncer that David Moore yes. hit for six. That was incredible. Incredible power. Did you, how do you hit a ball that is basically stationary? So obviously at this point meters. I was on the phone to my bank because I'd been scammed. So yeah, uh, newsflash, I didn't actually see one or two of these these moments. So he got, kind of got stuck in his hand. A double bouncer that was obviously called no ball. But Warner, so the ball, the ball is basically just like, like you drop a tennis ball on the floor yeah, and try and hit yeah. it as far as you can. And he, and he smashes it over mid-wicket for like into the second tier, basically. Yeah. Was, so, and, then, and then Warner, his dismissal was just hilarious. Yeah. Um, giving out court behind or shout out if he took four for 25, four for 26, by the way. Uh, but he missed it by, by, by quite a long way and, and didn't review it. Didn't review really um, it. Walked off, kicking himself. Famous walkers. Too good a um, guy. Yeah, um, and then we've, we've we've got to we've got to talk a little bit about Matthew Wade. Forty-one off seventeen at the end, uh, scooping Shaheen, hitting him for three sixes in a row. Scoop one into the second tier. Scoop again. Uh, absolutely incredible. And him batting at sevens worked out very well for Australia. Well, I mean, at the start of the tournament, there there were a few wise old 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 hacks, sort of laughing at Australia um, and saying, "Well, oh, they, they just they." Not, not only do they not know what they're doing, they don't care. They don't even care about what they're doing. How can they have Matthew Wade, who's never chased in his life, you know, finishing their 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 batting order and all of that? And well, I mean, there you go. The uh, yeah, it's, the, the, the Michael Hussey of the day. Yeah, it's kind of been the tournament though of, of relatively slow scoring in the first half innings and catching up at the end. Um, yeah, we, we were told it was going to be whichever team won the power play would win yeah. the game, and it's whichever team wins the toss win the game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, I, I, I've dubbed him a. Carlos Mathwade. Excellent. Uh, have you? Yeah, watching yeah. that. Well, we each have our crosses to bear. Um, should we move on to the final? Yes. Just one thing on on, oh, on, on, on Mathwade. <laughs> I, I just enjoyed, uh, he, he looks so incredibly pumped. And obviously he's got that very yeah. Australian way about him. Yaz described him as uh, uh, as the most likely post shift interview in which to include an F-bomb. Yeah, uh, he just about game. avoided it. But yeah, yeah. It? <laughs> at the start, you, you thought it was definitely possible. Uh, yeah, on to the final. Australia, New Zealand, Conway out of the final. Um, Phil, which way are you going? Well, Australia, obviously. Um, uh, I hope that New Zealand win the toss uh, to level it up a little bit. It would be fascinating. The, the, the subtext is, can New Zealand creep out from under that huge shadow, that inferiority complex that dogs them in big tournaments against, against Australia? Uh, I don't want to wander back to 2015, but it's hard not to, isn't it? You know, they'd... They'd lit the place up going into that final and they were completely blown away in it. Reasonably difficult, different group. Different group, different um, uh, build-up to it as well because New Zealand have kind of crept up a little bit whereas they stole that show. Yeah. Um, but Mitchell Stark will still be waiting for them. He didn't bowl very well today, incidentally, but uh, 
you know, th- those scars will still still be there. And and it goes back further than that too. You know, you can take it back to the '96 World Cup when New Zealand looked like they had the game done. Chris Harris hit 130, and then Mark Wall went out there and made 100 of his own. Australia got to the final in that one uh, when New Zealand thought they were they were going to take it. So so there's a number of examples where in big tournaments those two have come up against one another, and and you know the the alpha has 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 dominated. So that's the subtext to that to this final. Um, uh, yeah, as I say, the toss will obviously be important. It's it's frustrating that it is so important, but it's hard to shake if you're playing if you're playing games in the evening in particular, uh, and teams are now so well versed in decompartmentalizing an innings that it's an obvious advantage now to batting second. Yeah, yeah. and because I mean, you say it was a different group of players, but it was a similar group of players that uh, went for the 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 three test match series, uh, which included a Boxing Day test, a long-awaited Boxing Day test. And I remember we, when we were proving it on this pod, I remember Phil describing it quite nicely that New Zealand cricketers, when they arrive in Australia, they're kind of two feet shorter, basically. Uh, that, that, that like Because New Zealand might well be the best all-format team in the world, and yet it's kind of impossible to conceive of them beating Australia, basically. <laughs> uh, anyone else, you'd think like, yeah, they, they, they'd have a pretty good chance. But the flip side of that is it would be just a wonderful, wonderful story and a way to not cap off, but to crown this incredible era of New Zealand cricket if they can, you know, get that first World Cup title and do it against Australia. That would just be every box ticked, which obviously means it's not going to happen. I think Warner looks really ominous. Warner completely out of nick before the tournament gets dropped in the IPL. Um, But suddenly Australia have got one of the best T20 batters of all time looking in serious, serious form. It's fine. He's appeal really convincingly and just walk off. (laughs) He, he he was brilliant today, Warner, and he changed the complexion of that innings. Mm. Um, he, he took the left arm spinner apart early on. Um, that was the matchup, as they talk. You know, it, it was all there waiting for him, and 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 he cha- he made that that chase possible today, Warner. Um, I, I wouldn't begrudge Australia at all. I, I think it would be quite an interesting story um, in the context of twenty over cricket. We'll say it'd be quite funny if if Australia win it. Uh, two things will happen. One, it will puncture some of the pomposity around 20 over cricket and the theorising around it. And two, it will return one of the real superpowers back to where they think that they should be, i.e. at the top of the world game. Uh, And they have been peculiarly diffident in white ball cricket for quite a few years, having, of course, dominated it in a previous era. Uh, I would... I'd be I'd be happy to see them there. Happy's maybe not exactly the right word, but there would be a, a I'd be satisfied to see Australia back where ultimately I always assume that they are. You're just yeah. a glutton for punishment. Can, can you actually <laughs> imagine what it would be like? But it's not, but, Did, but they're also they're also you know they're they're, they're a pretty likable team. As sure, well, you know. But but can you imagine Tim Payne on his radio show on Monday, sort of crowing as if he's won Taking himself, credit, he's, yeah. he, and then and then just Justin Langer in three months' time sort of having won the T20 Cup and the Ashes 5-0. Uh, you know, Lionizer one of the great coaches when he's, you know, some, you know, barefooted, like, strange man. It's uh, like, a barefooted strange it's all, man. It's all, uh, <laughs> it's all one long Ashes build-up, though, isn't it? Yes. Um, anyway, uh, I thought this would be a half an hour pod max, but somehow we've made it to 50 minutes. Um, I said then. less than him for once. Yeah, but, but Ben actually does really get going. When, when, I know he when, does. Yeah, especially yeah, specialty cricket. In the neck. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, cheers, Ben. Cheers, Phil. This has been Pleasure. the Wisdom Cricket Week. Can I go podcast. home now. Yeah, we'll be back after the final on Monday.
Social Podcast Network.